You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. You really want to make sure that you have multiple different layers of defense that are orthogonal to each other. And so if something does get through one of them, the the other ones can help. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me, as always, is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some interesting stories to share, and later in the show, we've got Asaf Sedone. He's from Barracuda Networks. He's going to share some of the trends his team is seeing when it comes to to phishing and social engineering. And we are back. Joe, before we jump into our stories, we've got some follow-up from a listener. Oh, very good. listener named George wrote in. Last week, I believe, we talked about some uh, issues with Office 365, people who are getting phished. And George wrote in and said, if the Office 365 business enterprise or government subscriptions have O365 advanced threat protection established... The phishing attack should be mitigated. All links sent via email to the subscriber would go through the O365 link washing machine Hmm. to determine if the URL is malicious or not. Once the subscriber clicks or taps on the link, it would either go through as normal or a landing page would show up indicating that it is malicious. So ATP, this advanced threat protection, provides an additional layer of security and it does not in any way diminish the need for phishing, social engineering, security awareness training. So interesting, this is kind of that, you know, pre-detonation thing that I like to think about where they automatically look at the link, take it off somewhere, (laughs) off in the middle of a a virtual desert. Right, an open field. Right, an open field, you know, blow it up to see what happens, and only then do they feed it to you after they've made sure that there's nothing wrong with it. So, good information. Thank you, George, for sending that in. Sounds like a nice additional layer you can have uh, on top of your uh, Office 365 stuff there. There you go. It's always a good thing. All right, so let's dig into our stories here. All right. Joe, I have a confession to make. (sighs) This is a true story. This happened to me. Okay. I was driving home from work one day, about a year ago, driving down Route 95 out of Baltimore. Right. And I come to the exit ramp that leads to where I live. And over on the exit ramp, I see someone, there's a vehicle pulled over to the side. It's a minivan. And there's a gentleman standing next to the van and he's, he's waving his hands frantically, trying to get me to pull over and help. So uh-huh. I do. I'm, okay. a, I'm a gentleman. Right. I do. I pull over. He comes up to the car. I roll down the window. He says, uh, thank you so much for helping. I'm out of gas. My wife and child are in the car there. Can you help? And I said, well, certainly. Yes. I'd be happy to help you. I said, i tell you what. Why don't you get in the car? We're just uh, a mile or so away from a gas station. And uh, I'll drive you there. We can get you some gas. I'll drive you back. You'll be on your way. Right. And he says, no, no, I, I, I can't do that. I don't feel right leaving my wife and child behind. Uh, He says, I tell you what, he says, uh, let me give you some of my jewelry. Give me some money, give me $20. Right. And let me give you some of my jewelry. That way you'll know that I'll pay you back. And I said, well, I said, sir, you're you're in need. I don't need your jewelry. Right. Here. So I gave the guy $20. Uh I wished him well. Right. And went on my way, feeling good about myself that I'd stopped and helped a fellow man. Yes. 
So time passes, and I'm sitting home, and I see a story come on the local news, and it says, Exit Scammers. <laughs> <laughs> Police are looking for information on a sudden uptick in people who pretend like their cars are disabled at the side of the road. They try to get you to give them money by offering you worthless costume jewelry. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And you're right. going, this sounds <laughs> yeah. vaguely familiar. Yes, yes. I'm going, <laughs> uh, because I'm sort of going through the stages of denial of going, well, maybe it wasn't. And then they say, and they do this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what he did. Exactly. And here's a picture of him. Oh, right. that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so sure enough, I got scammed. Okay. Well, if you recall back when we started this podcast, yeah. you and I both discussed this kind of thing, mm -hmm. and you and I both arrived at the conclusion that at some point in time, we know we're going to get scammed. Right. And we would rather be scammed if something is relatively innocuous than leave somebody, one of our fellow humans in need. That's right. Right? That's right. And we agreed that's okay. Yeah. For, for us. I mean, what are you out? You're out 20 I'm bucks. I'm out $20. Right. You know what? Would the, the ideal situation for this for me would have been to have been scammed and not have found out that it was a scam. <laughs> because, <laughs> because then I still could have felt good about myself. I could have felt like I'd helped a, a fellow human. I'm out $20 either way. Either I'm helping someone or I'm being scammed. It's $20 I don't have. It's $20 I can afford, right? Right. My children are still going to eat. My mortgage is still going to be paid. Right. So it made me sad. I had to check myself to make sure that it didn't you know, build up my calluses and my, my cynicism a little bit and say, no, this is the, the decision I've made, the choice I've made in life that I'd rather be a helpful person right. and every now and then be scammed rather than be cold and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You know, just keep on driving if there's someone who's truly in need. Right. The way around this, Dave. Yeah. If you uh, will allow me to be the armchair quarterback here. Okay, and, please. And give you it's, my what Monday, I, it's what I live for. My Monday morning advice. <laughs> what you should have done. Yeah. It said, okay, well, I'm not going to give you the cash, but I'll be right back with a can of gas to put in your car. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. I did think about that. that go on. takes time. Right. Right? So- First off, he's on an exit ramp, which yeah. is not an accident, because if he's on the side of the road, right, you, you drive to the gas station, you drive back to him on the side of the road, and you put the gas in his car. Mm -hmm. If you're on an exit ramp on 95, and you're coming south from Baltimore, right. now you have to get back on 95. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to drive north at least one exit, mm -hmm. get off on that exit, and yep. then head south on that exit to come back to where he is. I'm it's an hour of my time. Right. It's yeah. a lot of time. Yep. This is very clever, actually. Mm -hmm. So as I'm sitting here trying to give you the hindsight advice, right? Yeah. Like Captain Hindsight from, <laughs> from South Park, which you should have done. Uh, I'm sitting here going, this is a very clever ruse, Yeah, right? I'm starting to be more and more impressed with this. Generally, people don't like to hear you talk well about scammers, right? Because right. they're, they're bad guys and they're scamming people out of their money. But they are creative. And putting the scam on the exit ramp is genius. Yeah. Because it makes it very difficult for you to physically help them. Now, what do you suppose happens if the police officer pulls up behind him and says, sir, what's uh, what's going on here? I think it depends on what's going on at the time the police officer pulls up. If the yeah. police officer pulls up to him just on the side of the road, right, and there's nobody else around, mm -hmm. then he goes, my my kid was sick and I just needed to pull over. Right. And, right. He, and he's better now. I just put him back in the car seat. 
I'll see you later. And yeah. he drives away. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. If the police officer pulls up while he's talking to good old Dave. Right? <laughs> well, you know, but I think this person could have gotten a hundred bucks an hour. Easy. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is a, this is a profitable scam, I think. I think it is. Yeah. We've heard over and over again from social engineers. One of the biggest drives we have as humans is to help other humans. <laughs> right. 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 So they prey on that and they get money out of it. Yeah. So the lesson is I'm an easy target. Uh, <laughs> so if you see Dave driving down the road. If you see me driving down the road. If I'm walking down the street, uh, I'm the guy you want to hit up for money because I will likely give it to you and uh, away you go. So right. good, congratulations. So All right, Joe. So that's what I've got this week. That is my confession of the week. What do you have for us? All right, Dave. My story comes from the good folks over at Cyber Radio. Mm-hmm. A story that kind of ties in with one of our old catch of the day stories. Okay. So you remember a while ago we had a realtor send us an email yeah. about getting fished on DocuSign. Right. Right. Well, malicious actors have apparently a history of targeting real estate transactions. Mm. Most of the time, real estate fraud comes from business email compromise. Okay. Right. So it's commonly the result of a spear phishing attack. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of people involved in a real estate transaction. Right. You own a house. Yeah. I own a house. As I told you earlier, one of my very first jobs in my failed sales career was a real estate agent. Mm. You know, there's the real estate agent, the real estate broker who can be two different people. Mm-hmm. Generally, if you if you're buying a house, you don't hear from the broker, you just deal with, with the agent. There can be a lender, yep. right? That has staff. There can be a loan officer that you're talking to. And then there can be a title company or the settlement company that you're going to. And there's also a title insurance company, which is separate. So that's just the list of companies, organizations involved. So it's a very big attack surface. Right. And there's inspectors. You can have radon inspections or bug inspection. You know, there's all... Just right. Beyond those main people, there's also a web of support companies who Correct. have their hands in this complicated transaction. But the inspectors are not where the big money is. Right. Okay. Right? I'm going to pay $300 for a guy to come out and inspect my house. Mm-hmm. If I'm an attacker and I'm looking at this, I'm saying $300, I can try to scam somebody out $300 for a bug inspection, or I can try to scam somebody out of $20,000 settlement down payment. Mm. That's where I'm going. Okay. What they do is compromise someone's email account. Okay. And then they'll say, okay, it's time for you to wire money to me. And it'll be the criminal's address, right? They'll step into the transaction as it's coming towards settlement, and they'll they'll start capitalizing on that. Now, imagine you're trying to buy a house. Right. You get an email from the title company. It says, wire the money here, mm-hmm. right? And you wire the money there, and you go to settlement, and the settlement company goes, okay, where's your check? And you uh. go, my check. I wired the money to you. And they say, you didn't wire any money to us. Now you're out whatever that money was that you wired to them, mm-hmm. right? And- you can't buy your house now because that was probably all the money you had saved up for the transaction. Right. Right. You're hosed. Double whammy. Exactly. It's devastating. Yeah. Now, the folks over Proofpoint Security says they routinely spot these kind of attacks using DocuSign. Mm, mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. So some aren't meant to steal people's DocuSign credentials, but rather other email credentials. Then they create a fake DocuSign landing page. I see. Right. So then they can try to propagate these scams out to other agents or other customers. One of the things they found was something that looked like it came from a lender that had online disclosures and everything, because there's tons of disclosures in these processes. Yeah. And they're, they're abusing that process. And 
one attack was saying, here's some important documents you need to read and sign. And mm -hmm. the documents are malicious. Right? I see. Or the links to the documents are, are, right. are malicious. Ways to harvest your credentials exactly. and then pivot from there. So Sherrod DeGrippo, who is the director of emerging threats over Proofpoint, yep. said that fraudsters target real estate transactions. And here's what you were getting at earlier. Mm. Because they are fast paced by their nature and they involve communications with tons of people. And that communication is very voluminous. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that the right word? Voluminous? I think so. It's good enough. Okay. It means there's copious amounts of it. <laughs> so I'll use another 50 cent word. Yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> well, and I think if I could just say it's a crescendo. Right. As you make your way towards settlement day, it sort of escalates and escalates. It gets more and more stressful as this process goes on. Mm -hmm. Right. Because everything happens at the last minute. It does. It yeah. do you will be sitting there in, in the process. And this has happened to me both times I bought a house. We uh -huh. bought a townhouse and then we moved up to the house we live in now. And both times, almost nothing happens for like the first... 45 days of the process. And then in the last three days before settlement, everything goes crazy. Yep. yep. It's just the nature of the beast. It is. So you're going to get a lot of calls. You're going to be getting a lot of emails. Customers should be extremely vigilant in interactions with these parties. Yeah. Right. So in other words, when you get an email from one of these people, I think it's important that you follow up with a phone call that you make out to the people confirming the email. Yeah, well, certainly anything that has to do with large sums of money. Right. Take the five minutes, make the phone call, and just verify Right. this is what needs to happen. I, I'm, I'm going to talk about how this works in Maryland. I don't know how it works in the other 49 states. Okay. But typically in Maryland, when you go to settlement, you need to bring a certified check from a bank for the amount. Mm -hmm. I have never seen in the multiple transactions I've been part of, myself, you know, my family, and working as a real estate agent briefly, mm -hmm. I've never seen a title company or a settlement company say, wire the money. They have always said, bring a certified check from the bank. Mm -hmm. So if you see somebody saying, wire the money here in Maryland or probably most of the United States, that should be a red flag, hmm. right? Instantaneously, you should stop what you're doing and go, that's not right. Yeah. Here's the big crux of this. In 2017, the FBI received over 10,000 complaints about real estate transaction fraud, and the fraud cases resulted in losses of more than $56 million, hmm. which is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. <laughs> Pretty, it's almost as much as your house cost. <laughs> almost, Dave. <laughs> you know, I am rolling around on all this podcast money. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, yes. As, as are we all. Right. All right, Joe. Well, it's a good story uh, as always. Let's move on. It's time for our catch of the day. So, Joe, uh, this week's Catch of the Day was sent in to us by a listener. His name is Russell. And uh, he said, Hi, Joe and Dave. I thought you might like this one for your Hacking Humans podcast. I'm down the bottom end of the planet in Australia, and I use Apple Mail as my mail client, which recently flagged this as spam. So I took a screenshot for you. I'm not sure the authors really got the idea of how phishing emails work, unless I am mistaken, and LinkedIn now moonlights as a Himalayan tourist advocate. <laughs> <laughs> she says only Google and Kaspersky rate this as a phishing scam on Virus Total really? uh, as of today. So here's the email, just a regular looking email. Here it is. Dear LinkedIn user, as part of our efforts to improve your experience in LinkedIn access across our consumer services, we're updating LinkedIn services agreement and privacy. Click the link below to update your account. Now, the link below goes to a website that is humanity-himalayan-mountains.pt 
Your account will be deactivated if you do not update. This notice ends Wednesday, August 22, 2018. We apologize for any inconvenience. Thank you for your cooperation. Sincerely, LinkedIn Service Provider. <laughs> Not LinkedIn. No, LinkedIn Service LinkedIn Provider. LinkedIn Service Provider. Yep. Yeah. Huh. So pretty straightforward uh, catch here. Also interesting, and I don't know if this is how his particular male client rendered out this message, but the fact that they did not try to obfuscate the obviously not LinkedIn link right. by putting it, making it clickable, you know, having it be the link to the, some the plain text. The actual URL to where you're going. Right. The URL is sitting right out there in plain text. Right. So I don't know if that's the way his mail software rendered it out or if that was just a mistake on the on the spammer's uh, part. You know what, but, you know what uh, I envision? Mm. I envision two spammers sitting in a room, one going, I think these people are really dumb. And the <laughs> other guy going, no, I, I think they just fall for us because we're genius. He goes, no, let me show you how stupid people are. I see. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> plausible. He says plausible. Right. <laughs> plausible. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Russell, for sending that in. That is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Asaf Sedone from Barracuda Networks. He's going to share some of the trends that his team has seen when it comes to phishing and social engineering. Joe, I recently had the opportunity to speak with Asaf Sedone. He's the vice president of email security at Barracuda Networks. He shared what his team has been seeing when it comes to phishing and social engineering. Here's my interview. There's several areas that are of particular interest. The first one, uh, probably most notable, is attacks that we call account takeover, where the attackers successfully fish someone within the target organization. Could be a low-level employee, for example, and then actually steal that uh, person's uh, credentials. So they'll, for example, send an email that uh, appears to be coming, let's say, from Microsoft Outlook, leading the person to a fake sign-in page where they'll try to you know, steal their credentials. And then they'll use those credentials to actually log in as that employee and then send emails from that employee's legitimate email client. So they'll actually you know, send out emails to other employees, you know, maybe phishing other employees or maybe trying to do kind of a, a business email compromise where they steal you know, a wire transfer from the company. So we've been seeing those grow a lot in the last few months. Um, And what makes them really nefarious is they're actually coming from the real email address from the employee of, of, you know, within the organization. So there's, they're obviously a lot harder to catch and a lot harder to spot, especially when they're well executed. So that's, that's one uh, line of attack that we've been seeing and are really focused on. Another big one is, you know, just generally targeted phishing and and spear phishing. So we've been seeing a lot of attacks in different, sectors. For example, the real estate industry has been um, just bombarded with attacks. You know, any different types of organizations in the real estate industry, like the actual agents or the title companies or real estate management firms. Oftentimes, what attackers will do is they'll, you know, try to trick one of the folks in the firm, again, steal the credentials, then do reconnaissance, find out, you know, when are the deals about to happen, who's going to execute the deal. And then, for example, let's say you're about to buy a house, you're about to wire transfer money for your down payment to a title company, 
you'll get an email supposedly from that title company telling you, you know, hey, Dave, this is the bank account you should use for the wire transfer. And that bank account is obviously owned by the attacker. So taking advantage of the fact that large amounts of money are being planned to be exchanged uh, and also a period in someone's life when uh, it's likely that, that emails are going to be being sent back and forth to coordinate those kinds of things. Exactly. And I think the real estate example is actually especially nefarious because, you know, it's in a sense targeting consumers, which, you know, we we can talk a lot about how to make sure organizations are protected and how they can increase their security awareness. But consumers are often the most vulnerable, right, to these types of attacks. So it's quite tragic if someone loses their down payment because something like this. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of us, when we think about phishing attacks, we think of sort of the, the numbers game attacks, you know, the, the Nigerian prince scam, of course, being the, you know, the, the one that everyone I, I guess uses as the example. But you all see some longer term cons. What sort of stuff do you see there? You touched on a really good point, right? So the kind of criminal market has evolved considerably in the last you know, couple of years. I mean, it used to be that you, they just sent out these Nigerian print scams or you know via, fake Viagra pills hmm. or something like that, and just you know send it to you know, hundreds of millions of mailboxes and hope that you know zero point zero zero one percent would be gullible enough to to purchase <laughs> or fall for the scam. Well, they've really moved into a smaller number of targets, but higher you know payoff model, kind of like a. A B2B instead of a B2C, a business to consumer, a business to business model, right? Where they're willing to invest more time in researching their targets, willing to invest more time in waiting and gathering reconnaissance, but then the payoffs are much, much higher and, and they can dupe, you know, their conversion rate, so to speak, right? They're their chance of success per target is higher. And that has been shown that it's, it's a lot more lucrative for them. So the FBI actually has been working very hard on stopping these attacks and assembling data on these attacks. And in fact, they, they compile an annual report that they release every year that kind of aggregates the data that they've collected. And I don't think they've uh, released the report for 2017 yet, as far as I've seen. But for 2016, the data shows that it's over $5 billion in losses hmm. from these types of attacks. So it's a really big market from a criminal perspective. And that, that's why it's so effective. And yeah, we've definitely, as, as you know, the example I, I talked about earlier, the account takeover attacks. I mean, sometimes attackers are willing to sit for weeks and even months, you know, targeting an organization, you know, they harvest, they steal the credentials of an employee and they don't actually use that credential for many weeks after that. Or they might sell that credential to someone else, you know, who's willing to pay a premium to get a credential of an employee of a certain organization. And then they, that, you know, that attacker will launch an attack that's really targeted to that organization. So, so they become very sophisticated. And frankly, you know, if you're sitting in East Asia or Eastern Europe, you know, or in a developing country, you know, you can afford to actually employ a team of folks that will be looking through social media accounts of companies, buying lists, doing a little bit of research to do these attacks. I mean, they are more sophisticated, but they don't involve any cutting edge technology or you know, you don't need to be to be a foreign, you know, intelligence service or something like that to do these. It's not such a uh, sophisticated operation uh, to set up. Can you give us a, a glimpse behind the scenes there at Barracuda? I mean, what sorts of things are you working on to gather the information that you gather and, and to help protect your clients? 
We really work on various levels kind of of the security stack uh, to try to help our customers. I think the most interesting thing we do to solve these particular attacks that I've, I've talked about is actually use artificial intelligence. And so the, the basic idea is actually pretty simple kind of behind all the buzzwords. Basically, we develop systems that can learn kind of what's normal and what's irregular in an organization. So we basically, you know, observe the communication patterns of, let's say, employees of a company over time. And we learn, you know, who speaks to whom, you know, what email addresses they use, how do they, you know, what types of the text, the kind of style they use to communicate, you know, who are the folks in the organization that deal with sensitive information? What links, domains does the company typically send in emails? And then we basically trained you know, AI classifiers that can identify anomalous behavior. So I'll give you an example. You know, let's say one day suddenly your accountant <laughs> starts sending 10 emails to people they've never communicated with before in the company with kind of funny grammar, let's say, and, and a link that's going to a website that just kind of weird, right? It might not be obviously a malicious website, but it's it's an obscure website that, you know, that person, nobody in the company has never, you know, referenced before. So that would be an example of behavior that, you know, our our system that's called Sentinel would be able to flag and automatically detect and and kind of stop. A lot of the work we do is, you know, in the security world, like there's been a lot of work in the past of kind of trying, let's create like a rule, you know, if we see the word Viagra, it must be, uh, <laughs> it must be an attack. Or, you know, if we see certain keywords, or we see certain websites, or certain links being sent, then it must be an attack. But it's really hard to apply that kind of fixed rule approach to this problem. Because, you know, the attackers, again, as we said, they're, they're smart, they, they tailor the attacks, they, they, they're not sending the same, you know, attack to like a million different people like the Viagra email. They're, they're actually tailoring it to the specific organization. And so something like AI is, is much more flexible and kind of tune its uh, rules based on the historical uh, communication patterns of, of each customer. So, so it's very effective to stop these attacks. What do you think of that, Joe? Well, first, Dave, I want to say that uh, I didn't listen to that interview before recording my story. <laughs> he hit on some of the some of the same some, sort of some topics, of the same right? points, yeah. A reinforcement there, right? Exactly. Scammers are targeting these real estate transactions and, of course, other business transactions. Yeah. Uh, I want everybody to remember that you know we talk about research being the first part and social engineering being the beginning of these attacks, but. Remember that email is like the first kinetic action, if you will, in a hack, hmm. right? That that some, I can't remember what the number is off the top of my head, but we hear different numbers like ranging from 70 to 90% of when a company gets compromised, the attack starts with a malicious email. And what also is kind of interesting to hear is that last year there were $5 billion in losses, billion with a B, mm-hmm. to these kind of attacks. Uh, you know, it's it's getting to the point where you just can't trust email anymore. We can't trust it, Dave. <laughs> Well, you know, it is interesting. I th- I think about this from time to time. Like, I know there have been things they've tried to graft onto email to make it more trustworthy yeah, and, like, and like so on. Signatures. You can yeah. like, graft di- digital signatures on. There are some, yeah, exactly. But why are we still using email? It's as if we're doing all of our business on postcards. Right. Right. Now, imagine if I could social engineer someone out of their credentials for signing an email. Mm-hmm. Now I can send verified emails to targets within the company. And if your boss sends you an email that says, hey... You know, if you don't wire this money in the next hour, we're going to lose a big deal. 
Right. The, you know, you can understand why people would fall for that. Absolutely. Yeah, coming from a, a le- what seems to be a legit source. Right. And so, and sometimes with the business email compromise, it is coming from, for all intents and purposes, what is a legit source. Right. The CEO's email address. All right. Well, that is our show this week. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.